You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Dave. Today I want to talk about what I consider to be the biggest lie of all. It's a subject I've been, well, looking at for the last six months, and I've been pretty hesitant to uh, talk about it because, well, it's a really controversial subject. Now, I was researching something on a totally unrelated topic, and happened to see an intriguing sounding video. So I clicked on it, but the subject was so preposterous that I was just about to turn it off when it happened to say something that piqued my interest to watch the video completely to the end. And by the end of it, I had questions. I had some serious questions. So I'm going to ask you to... This This is very, very uh, controversial. And, and difficult to get your head round. So just bear with this and keep an open mind. So in order to determine the truth, I'm going to be using a few principles here. The first of which is the scientific method, something that the scientific community doesn't seem to use these days. But the scientific method is where a theory or opinion is put forward that matches what we observe. But if something comes along that contradicts those observations, then the theory must be discarded. Occam's razor. That's quite simply the simplest explanation tends to be the truth. The third principle I'm going to be using is from Sherlock Holmes. When the impossible has been eliminated, whatever is left, however improbable, must be the truth. I'm also going to have to accept a couple of things. The first of which is what I call the ant perspective. If you imagine an ant walking across a runway and all of a sudden a jumbo jet lands next to it, the ant's probably going to say, what the hell was that? But there is no way the ant can ever figure out what just happened to it. It's just beyond the ant's ability to comprehend. So we have to accept that they, there may be things that are way beyond the human mind's ability to comprehend. The other thing we have is how easily our minds, once have been programmed or given a world view, how easily those minds can be fooled.
started watching that video with a certain world view. After all, you know what a room looks like. But those preconceptions caused you to ignore some of the subtle cues that would have given the game away, such as the black rectangle underneath the chair, or the difference in color between the cups, or even the strange angles of the picture on the wall. You believed a visual lie because your worldview was so powerful that it blinded you to any evidence that contradicted it. The other thing I'd like to mention at this point is how easily we can be fooled by two-dimensional imagery. We've been trained and conditioned to suspend disbelief when we see certain two-dimensional imagery, such as photographs. You know, a photograph is not reality. And photographs can be altered and manipulated. Video is not reality. And here's some examples of that. imagery or media that's presented to you by the establishment. So let's get down to it then, shall we? This is apparently the truth of our world. We live on a spherical planet called Earth, spinning at a thousand miles an hour on a 23.4 degree tilt. Now, I always thought it was 23 and a half degrees, but as I researched into this, I found it was actually 23.4. That's 23.4 degrees. Funnily enough, that leaves 66.6 degrees away from the horizontal. Hmm, interesting. So anyway, we're orbiting an ordinary star that is apparently 93 million miles away. The sun itself is embedded in a galaxy of a hundred billion stars and that galaxy is one of trillions and trillions in an infinite and expanding void and in the midst of the void we are just an insignificant and unimportant microbe that's arrived here by accident that's crawling around on this speck of dust now i know what you're thinking oh dear he's turned into one of those flat earther people but if you've ever discovered the truth behind all those things that have been labelled as conspiracy theories, you've been willing to set aside your preconceptions of the world 
to be able to accept a new and uh, often terrifying version. This is no different. So please bear with me. The first thing that people will automatically say is, of course we live on a spherical Earth. We've got the photographic evidence, don't we? Well, strangely enough, a picture of Earth from space, you'll find surprisingly few of them. In fact, all of them, including this one, this is from NASA, it's called the Big Blue Marble. All of them are composites. <laughs> NASA will be in composite images or CGI or Photoshop. There's only one image that NASA will claim was shot from space, and it's this one. It's apparently shot from Apollo 17. But all of these images have problems. First of all, the scientist will tell you that because the Earth is spinning, centrifugal forces will force the equator to bulge out as it's spinning. So the Earth is more of an oblate spheroid. But, funny enough, all the images from space, supposedly, are perfect spheres. Also, one thing I noticed is that the colours of uh, continents and, uh, and the sea itself, they're very vivid. Now, when you look at anything at a distance, maybe if you look at some hills at the distance of uh, three or four miles, you'll see that the colours are kind of washed out somewhat because of the atmosphere. If you see mountains are further off in the distance, the dark colours are washed out even more because of the influence of the atmosphere. So how can it be that you get these very vivid, striking colours through miles of atmosphere? I can't explain it. The other thing uh, this shot of uh, Earth from space is that the continents actually appear to match the Mercator map rather than the Peter's projection map. Now, here's a little video to explain it. Do it again? Yes. Plain and simple, uh, we'd like President Bartlett to massively support legislation that would make it mandatory for every public school in America to teach geography using the Peters projection map instead of the traditional Mercator. Give me 200 bucks and it's done. Really? No. Why are we changing maps? Uh, because, CJ, the Mercator projection has fostered European imperialist attitudes for centuries and created an ethnic bias against the third world. Really? The German cartographer, Mercator, originally designed this map in 1569 as a navigational tool for European sailors. The map enlarges areas at the pole to create straight lines of constant bearing or geographic direction. So it makes it easier to cross an ocean. But yes. it distorts the relative size of nations and continents. Are you saying the map is wrong? Oh dear, yes. Uh, look at Greenland. Okay. Now look at Africa. Okay. The two land masses appear to be blow your mind. I told you that Africa is in reality 14 times larger. Yes. Here we have Europe drawn considerably larger than South America. When it's 6.9 million square miles, South America is almost double the size of Europe's 3.8 million. Africa appears three times as large as Mexico, when Mexico is larger by 0.1 million square miles. Germany appears in the middle of the map, within in the northernmost quarter of the Earth. Anyway, relative size is one thing, but you're telling me that Germany isn't where we think it is? 
Nothing's where you think it is. Where is it? I'm glad you asked. The Peters projection. It has fidelity of axis. Fidelity of position. East-west lines are parallel and intersect north-south axes at right angles. What the hell is that? It's where you've been living this whole time. Did we continue? Uh-huh. wondering what all of this has to do with social equality. No, I'm wondering where Frank really is. Guys, we want to thank you very much for coming in. Hang on, we're going to finish this. Okay. What do maps have to do with social equality, you ask? She asked. Salvatore Natoli of the National Council for Social Studies argues, in our society we unconsciously equate size with importance and even power. We're going to check in on time. Go. These guys find break it in on that map, you'll call me, right? Probably not. Okay. When third world countries are misrepresented, they're likely to be valued less. When Mercator maps exaggerate the importance of Western civilization, when the top of the map is given to the northern hemisphere, and the bottom is given to the southern, then people will tend to adopt top and bottom attitudes. But wait, how else could you put the northern hemisphere but on the top? On the bottom. How? Like this. Yeah, but you can't do that. Why not? Because it's freaking me out. So the Mercator map was designed as a navigational aid, but the Peters projection map is a more accurate rendering of what the continents look like. So why then do all the images of go the Mercator map? I guess that's because that's what we're used to. <laughs> Even the one image that is claimed to be a, an actual photograph of Earth and space is called into question, simply because of a film that was uh, released accidentally by NASA of Apollo 11 faking their very first picture of Earth and space. So let's have a look at that video. An old reel received by mistake. It contains the raw or unedited footage of the crew of Apollo 11, Michael Collins, Edwin Aldrin Jr., and Neil Armstrong, staying part of their mission for nearly an hour in living color, with exceptionally clear behind-the-scenes audio of conversations discussing the techniques used to achieve a disingenuous picture depicting the Earth at a distance in order to falsely demonstrate their far journey from it and their ability to survive passing through the Allen radiation belts. It cannot be misconstrued that this staging was done for some other reason, for the reel itself is slated and dated July 18th, 19th, and 20th, 1969, the very days of the mission when they were said to be approaching and achieving lunar orbit. Understand, too, that only about 20 seconds of this raw footage was ever broadcast to the public, and these conversations discussing their deception were believed to be private until now. Here, they discussed that these television transmissions were, in fact, not broadcast live, as everyone believed. They were first screened and edited for playback later. All right, today we just wanted a narrative such a weekend when we get to playback, we can sort of correlate what we're doing so much. 
Here they discuss the fact that they have turned out the lights and have blocked out sunlight from entering the space through the other windows as to not cause any reflected light to fall onto the spacecraft's wall in the foreground. Okay, very good. Well, we shut out the sun coming in from the other end of the spacecraft, so uh, it's looking through a, uh, a uh, number one window and there isn't any uh, reflected light. The reason this was done is so that the truth of the matter would not be revealed. It is this. Though the federal government would have you believe that this is a view of Earth from a distance out of the spacecraft's window as it nears the moon, it is not. What they have ingeniously done is placed the camera at the back of the spacecraft and centered the lens on a circular window in the foreground, outside of which it is completely filled with the Earth in low orbit. The circumference of the window then appears to be the diameter of the Earth at a distance, with the darkened walls of the spacecraft appearing to be the blackness of space around it. That is why they wanted the interior dark and blocked out the sun from any other windows. Here you can see the extruded window, probably two inches thick at the bottom. This is because the Earth's shine is coming in at a downward angle. It also causes the Earth to appear to be an irregularly shaped circle, for you are seeing the outside of the window at the bottom and the inside of the window at the top, which together form two different sized This tape was never used. As they perfected the shot, a crescent-shaped piece of black material was inset slightly into the window to create the illusion of the Earth's terminator line dividing night and day. It is convincing. During this segment, intended to be edited and played back later for the worldwide television audience, dated July 18, 1969, Armstrong condemns himself as he states that he is 130,000 miles out, or halfway to the moon, as the NASA flight log also states on this date, when he is in reality in low Earth orbit of a few hundred miles. All right, Roger, Houston, Apollo 11. Calling in from about 130,000 miles out. Here, during another segment, also intended to air after review, Neil Armstrong falsely explains to the viewers how the shot is attained by putting the camera's lens to the window's glass, as it would have to be if they were the claimed distance away from the Earth. We only have one uh, window that uh, has a view of the Earth, and it's... If the window was completely filled up with a TV camera, as he stated, then an astronaut's arm would not be able to get between the camera and the window, as it obviously does here in this outtake. South America becomes invisible before You can also notice how the astronaut operating the camera reacted to the mistake by attempting to pan away from it. This is a segment that they believe wasn't even being recorded, much less suitable for broadcast, for the lens was being zoomed out and the scene was being changed to that of an interior of the astronauts at work, and apparently the stop button popped back up on the recorder without notice. Here is the diffused work light that they used to see camera controls, but not throw light onto the spacecraft's wall. Here they remove part of the crescent insert. 
Finally, the iris is opened up. See the real location of the camera and the very bright clear earth out the window. Here is the slate for the 19th of July and the same shot of trickery on the 19th of July. And then the 20th and the same misleading shot on the 20th. Later that evening, they were said to be walking on the moon. How can this be when they were in Earth orbit only nine hours earlier? And the moon is some three days' journey. And you can see the full sequence on a documentary called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon. That's uh, one that I highly recommend you have a look at. But as for photographic evidence of a globe Earth, <coughs> nope, it doesn't exist. Now let's take a look at Earth's supposed curvature. Many people point to Felix Baumgartner's recent record-breaking freefall jump and point to this picture in particular. It clearly shows a curvature of the Earth, but let's take a closer look at it. Well, it's quite obvious that a fisheye lens is used here. If you look at the uh, shape of the capsule itself, those are usually built with fairly straight lines, and you can see the lines are very curved on the edge of this capsule. He took off from New Mexico, and the Earth looks like some big, large landmass, and that's uh, New Mexico. I didn't realize that New Mexico took up so much of the Earth. It's clearly a fisheye lens. We know intuitively if we stand on a beach with a panoramic view, that the sea is flat. It's flat at sea level. It's flat from the top of Mount Everest. It's flat from over 20 miles high. I got this image from another YouTuber. I can't remember the guy's name, but um, he's the one who goes, where is the curvature? Where? Where? <laughs> um, but it's a picture of uh, the New York City skyline from over 40 miles away. He says it's 60 miles away, but if I measure it on Google Earth, it's 40 miles away. The reason I added this one is because I used to live um, halfway between Bear Mountain and uh, New York City. And um, from North Route 17, I was clearly able to see the New York City skyline from um, about 20 miles away. From 40 miles away, the New York City skyline should have been about a thousand feet below the horizon. And that neatly leads me into the horizon problem. No matter where you are, the horizon always rises to your eye level. Doesn't matter if you're standing on a beach or up a hill or in a plane at 35,000 feet, the horizon is always at eye level. Well, that would be impossible on a spherical Earth because the Earth would curve away from you, and so it would always appear below you. As on this diagram, the expected horizon would be below you, but that's not what we see. When you look out of the plane window, you always see the horizon at eye level. And it doesn't matter how big you make the Earth below the plane, the horizon would always appear below you. In 240 BC, a Jesuit named Eratosthenes, uh, my apologies to any ancient Greeks among you, he calculated the uh, circumference. He did that by planting a stick in the ground at midday so that uh, the sunlight, being directly overhead, would cast no shadow. 
simultaneously about 400 miles away. Some of them the same way and found that the sunlight cast a shadow. So by taking a shadow length and knowing the distance between the sticks, you could theoretically work out the circumference of the Earth. Take note that the method requires that the sun be a long, long way away so that the light from the sun is all parallel. Just uh, keep that in the back of your mind because we'll come back to this later. However, it turns out that you'd get exactly the same results on a flat Earth if the sun were only 3,100 miles away and 34 miles across. Now, as crazy as that might sound, I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to this as well. Perhaps the most famous experiment to disprove the idea of a curvature was performed by Samuel Rowbottom in the late 1800s. The old Bedford Levels experiment was performed on a canal in Cambridgeshire, which is perfectly straight for six miles. What Robotson did was put a telescope six inches above the water at one end of the canal and had a friend row a boat to the other. The boat had a flag on it, and Robotson was able to see the boat and the flag along the entire length of the journey. Now, if the Earth were curved, the boat should have been 16 feet Plenty of other such proofs exist concerning landmarks that can be seen much further away than the curvature of the Earth would allow. The most notable would be the Notre Dame Antwerp Spire, which stands about 403 feet high and 468 feet above sea level. But sea captains are able to see the spire with a telescope from an amazing 241 kilometers away. If the Earth were a globe, then the spire would be actually a whole mile below the horizon. The Earth has a curvature? <coughs> I don't think so. So let's take a look now at the idea that the Earth is spinning. Our common sense intuition tells us that the Earth is motionless. We have senses that detect changes in velocity. Why is it then, if you've, say, always lived in England, where the velocity of the Earth there is something around, I think it's 700 miles an hour. And you get on a plane and fly down to the equator where it's actually spinning at over 1,000 miles an hour. Why is it that you don't feel dizzy and, um, and notice the change in the velocity? Well, we'll ignore that. There are many theories that supposedly show that the Earth is spinning. But I want to concentrate on one such theory, which is that the motion of the stars prove that the Earth is spinning. This theory proposes that the stars are static, fixed and unchanging, and it's the Earth that's spinning around at a thousand miles an hour, and that the axis of spin is pointing at a particular star called Polaris, the pole star. So, from an observer on the Earth, it appears that the stars are spinning around the star Polaris. Now, Polaris is something like two quadrillion miles away. And as far as we know, the polar axis has always pointed at Polaris. So the first obvious question is, if the Earth is wobbling on its axis and moving around the sun and also being dragged along with the rest of the solar system, 
how can it remain perfectly aligned with a star that's two quadrillion miles away? Well, we'll put that aside for the moment and just concentrate on the motion of the stars. If you were to set up a camera pointing at Polaris in the night sky and leave it on a long exposure, you'd get a pattern of star trails around Polaris, supposedly putting the 1,000-mile-an-hour spin of the Earth. But wait a minute. Isn't the Earth orbiting the Sun at 67,000 miles an hour? And come to think of it, isn't the Sun moving through the galaxy at 600,000 miles an hour? Hmm. Then why is it the only motion we see is the slowest one, when the orbit around the Sun is 67 times faster than the supposed spin of the Earth, and the motion of the Sun, dragging the solar system behind it, is 600 times faster than the spinning of the Earth. Something doesn't add up. The point is, you wouldn't see these perfectly circular star trails. If you took into account all the other relative motions, you just wouldn't see these perfect circles. Where is the motion? Where? Where? The simplest answer is the Earth isn't spinning or orbiting or being dragged. The Earth's so moving. So now let's turn our attention to the sun. What do you think is wrong with this picture? Any idea? Well, take a look at the angle of the rays. If the sun was 93 million miles away, as I show in this diagram, uh, well, actually, I can't really show 93 million miles to scale here because uh, if it was, the Earth would be probably in the next town. Point is that at that kind of distance, all the light rays from the sun would be parallel near enough. And if you recall, you have to see this calculation of the circumference of the Earth actually depends on the light being parallel from the sun. So when the light shines through broken cloud, it would hit the parallel rather than at this kind of angle. So if you're able to measure the angle of the sun rays, you can basically, with a bit of simple geometry, figure out exactly how high the sun is. And that turns out to be about 3,100 miles. And if you were going to try and hide this information that the sun is actually very close, perhaps you'd uh, encode it in symbol. Does this look familiar? There are quite a few videos like this one where people send up their video cameras on weather balloons. One thing to note is when you can see a hot spot on the clouds directly under the sun, like here, See it? Directly under the sun is a hot spot. Now, that would be impossible if the sun was 93 million miles away. But also note how the sun appears to move through the Earth. As the camera rocks about, you'll see the sun moving around with the Earth. Now again, if the sun was 93 million miles away, you wouldn't see that. Just like if you were on a speeding train, the trees next to the track will whiz past you, but the mountains in the distance 
would, well, they'd hardly move. And if the sun was behind those mountains, the sun wouldn't move at all. So just like in this diagram, you can see there's a sun a long, long way off and a sun that's directly above the kind of landscape. And as the camera is simulated to move here, you can see that the closer sun is moving with the, the simulated Earth here. But the one further away moves as if it was further away. You can see it hardly moves in relation to the Earth. Again, that's not what we see in these videos. The sun appears to be directly above the flat Earth. In the flat Earth model, the sun rotates around us and only appears to rise and set because of the way our vision works. We see in perspective, that is, the horizon is at our eye level. And as things recede from us, they tend to converge to the center of that horizon line to a place that's known as the vanishing point. Just as if you were standing at the end of a very long corridor, you would see that the walls would appear to converge. The floor would appear to rise up to meet the horizon. And the ceiling would also appear to move downwards. Of course, the walls and, and the ceiling are all parallel to each other, so they don't actually move anywhere, but it would just appear that way. And anything that lies beyond the vanishing point is effectively invisible to us. It's beyond the limit of our vision. The clouds in this picture are all at the same height, but the further they are away from you, the lower down in the sky they appear to be. And similarly, the further away the cloud shadows are on the ground, the higher up they appear to be. Now, try and watch the following video without the preconception that the sun rises and sets, but rather moves closer to you and then moves further away. I'm afraid I can no longer take the idea that the sun is 93 million miles away very seriously at all. So now let's turn our attention to the moon. Many of us have seen the moon appear full at various times throughout the day, as in this picture. But how can that happen? If you're standing at point C, then it's the middle of the night. Full moon, no problem. And if you're standing at point A, it's early in the morning, certainly if you stare back at the moon in the night sky, then yes, you can see a full moon. But if you're standing at point B, which is midday, that is the sun is directly overhead, then there isn't anywhere that the moon can be that will allow you to see it as full. Because the sun will be illuminating the side of the moon that is facing away from you. So the best you'll be able to see is a sliver of the moon. 
think about it next time you see the full moon during the day. Every month, the moon goes through eight distinct phases, always the same, same order, supposedly because of a relationship between the position of the moon relative to the position of the Earth and the sun. So let's say it's December, and throughout the month we see the normal eight phases of the moon. But what happens when it's and the Earth is uh, supposedly on the other side of the sun? Shouldn't these phases be reversed? That's not what we see. We see the same eight phases in the same order. We are told that the moon is also spherical. But when we look at the moon, it seems to be lit uniformly over its entire surface. But if it was a sphere reflecting the sun, then that curved surface would display a highlight. And then that light would drop off as it went round the surface. But that's not what we see. The entire moon is lit uniformly. The quality of the light from the moon is completely different from the sun's light. The sun's light is hot and it's shifted towards the yellow part of the spectrum. Whereas the light from the moon is cold and more silvery. Heat is essentially infrared light. So in order for the moon to absorb the heat from the sun and not reflect it, it would have to be a deep green color to absorb the infrared. So unless the moon is made out of green cheese, it is not reflecting the sun's light. It appears that the moon is not a sphere and it's not reflecting the sun. It is self-luminous. a slightly different view of the moon depending on where on the globe Earth we happen to be. But this is not what we see. It doesn't matter where we are on Earth, we always seem to see the same view of the moon. Now, my friend Nolan pointed out that this is obviously a very exaggerated picture. The moon is supposedly 30 Earth diameters away from the Earth itself. But even so, that difference in position give you a slight difference from point A to point B. But again, that's not what we see. So apparently the moon is 230,000 miles away. But if you just put that aside for a second and just look at the moon, perhaps you'll notice this. In this example, only the clouds close to the moon are lit up, not the clouds further away. That indicates that the moon is much, much closer than we've been told. Because if the moon were 238,000 miles away, then all the clouds should be illuminated, not just the ones closest to it. And here's an example of a schoolboy mistake. This is a famous picture from Apollo 8, which is entitled Earthrise. It was taken from above the moon's surface, looking back at the Earth. The only problem is the Earth appears the same size as the Moon appears from the Earth. But the Earth is four times the size of the Moon. So it should have looked like this. Somebody screwed up. Now, there will be some people who still think we went to the Moon. I can't believe that there are still people who think that 1969 technology went over 400,000 miles 
managed to navigate to the moon using computers that were orders of magnitude less powerful than the first iPhone, passing through the immensely hazardous Van Allen radiation belts, which, by the way, NASA cannot figure out how to get through today, somehow landed on the moon, spent a delightful few days planting flags, playing golf, riding around on dune buggies, and then took off, or rather levitated off the, off the lunar surface, um, only briefly nipping back to pick up the person operating the camera, and returned safely. And not just once, but seven times. <laughs> it's a fantasy. The whole thing is a fantasy. Everything you saw supposedly on the moon was in a soundstage using Stanley Kubrick's perfected front projection technology. And I'm not going to spend much time. There's plenty of evidence to show that uh, it was completely faked. It was complete fantasy. So despite the Apollo moon, we believe that man is in space, and we have all sorts of space vehicles and satellites and space stuff there. It's time to have a look at the space shuttle. So let's take a look at a typical shuttle launch. T minus 17 seconds and count
going to stop it there for a moment because I'd like to draw your attention to the shuttle's trajectory. Now, as a kid, I often wondered why it was that all rockets and space shuttle launches, they never ever went straight up. They always curved off to one side. I remember being told at the time that it's because the Earth is spinning and the rocket is actually still going straight up, but from our point of view, we're just spinning away from it, so it looks curved. Hmm. Well, you can't have it both ways. If, uh, if that's the case, then when we jump into the air, we should land about a kilometre to the west. So you can't have it both ways. The quickest way into orbit would be straight up. Going horizontal would be the long way round. Let's continue. Okay, at this point, the shuttle is horizontal. That is, it's not getting any higher, it's simply traveling horizontally along the ground. And as you'll see in a few seconds, when the booster rockets separate, they still fall to the ground on the... Solid rocket booster separation confirmed. Guidance now converging. Discoveries on board computers commanding the main engine nozzle to swivel, aiming the shuttle for its precise target of information. shuttle's too high, but because it's too far away, downrange. As I said, it's travelling horizontally at this point. So what's missing is what they call MECO, main engine cutoff. That means that the shuttle no longer has any power behind it whatsoever. But after MECO is the external tank separation. As you can see from this diagram, when the tank separates, it falls back to Earth. So what's stopping the space shuttle following the same exact trajectory? Main engine cut off and this ohms burn, the space shuttle should follow the exact same trajectory as the external tank, but it magically does not. And conveniently, there's no video cameras to show exactly what happens. The point here is that at external tank separation, both the shuttle and the external tank are subject to this so-called force of gravity. Neither the shuttle or the external tank are in space. And yet they would believe that there is an orbital maneuvering system which is capable of blasting the shuttle from this point, which is still in the Earth's atmosphere, into orbit. Well, the clue is in the name of the thing. Orbital maneuvering system, not orbital insertion system, for this. There isn't an external tank anymore, so there isn't enough fuel to blast this shuttle into orbit, even from this height. 
And on the subject of height, where does space actually begin? In this shot, the space shuttle is supposedly in space because the cargo bay doors are open. But you can see the features on the ground in great detail. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to see such detail from a passenger jet at 35,000 feet. Look, you can see rivers and individual fields. Anyway, once the shuttle has completed its mission, it's now a glider. So let's have a look at a video of a glider landing. Money, perhaps this is what I would do. 
but spend a few million on some of what they call hero models. Space shuttle mock-ups that look the part, and lots of lights and computer screens and stuff, but are not flyable. They'll end up collecting dust in museums anyway. Then I would have a few mock-ups that I would fly into space, but really would basically fly out of sight and ditch in the sea, getting destroyed in the process. Then I would spend a few million, perhaps even a billion, let's give the taxpayers their money's worth. I'll spend a billion or so on developing a plane that looks like the space shuttle. There you go, job done. Uh, no refunds. So let's change the launch profile of the space shuttle for my new classified one. We have a remote-controlled, full-size mock-up, basically nothing inside, just an empty shell. That's uh, flown up on remote control on a, essentially a big firework. Everything acts as normal. The booster rockets detect as normal. But when we get to the external tank separation, that doesn't actually happen. What actually happens is the tank and the shuttle fall back to Earth where they ditch in the sea and get destroyed in the process. After the mission's complete, a space shuttle plane takes off from an undisclosed location and lands at an Air Force base in front of the TV cameras. Simple. Don't be ridiculous, Dave. You couldn't fake something like that. The truth is bound to get out. Lam, 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 lam. The best example of space shuttle fakery is the Challenger disaster. In 1986, the shuttle Challenger exploded about 74 seconds after takeoff, killing all seven astronauts inside. Or did it? It turns out that six of the seven are still alive. Claims to be his identical twin brother, Claude. Yeah, I've got an identical twin brother, Claude, too. The Challenger pilot, Mickey Smith, hasn't even bothered changing his name. He's now Professor Paul J. Smith of the University of Wisconsin. Now, Krista McAuliffe was a bit of a sneaky one. She was a Challenger, quite famous for being a teacher. It turns out, during her astronaut days, she was using her middle name, Krista. And now, all goes by her first name, Sharon. And she's a Syracuse law professor. The Challenger commander, Francis Scobie, is now Dick Scobie, which sounds like a rather unpleasant disease, CEO of Cows and Trees Limited. Judith Resnick, the Challenger mission specialist, again hasn't even bothered changing her name. And finally, Ronald McNair, another Challenger mission specialist, claims to be his identical twin brother, Carl McNair. What? And now we come to the imaginings of this man here. Arthur C. Clarke, Mason and science fiction writer, came up with the concept of the telecommunication satellite. And several years later, we have thousands of telecommunication satellites supposedly spinning around the planet. Again, though, strangely enough, if you try and look for images of 
you know, despite the fact that there are thousands of these things up there, you don't actually find a photograph of them. Just lots and lots of CGI photoshopped images. The problem is that satellites inhabit a region of the upper atmosphere known as the thermosphere. It gets its name. Temperatures up there reach something in the order of 2,500 degrees centigrade. This is a source of some confusion. Although Wikipedia says that it reaches such high temperatures, it also says, paradoxically, that you wouldn't actually feel the heat because there's not enough air molecules up there to heat you up. Yeah, right. It doesn't quite work like that. The vacuum space is actually a perfect insulator, which is why we use a vacuum barrier in thermos flasks. The heat from the inside cannot be conducted or convected to the outside. The sun's radiation does not actually heat space up. As I said, the vacuum is a perfect insulator. The sun's radiation traverses space until it hits some object. And when it does, that object absorbs the heat and essentially rises it. And without an atmosphere to conduct or convect the heat away, the temperature will rise up to and over 2,500 degrees. So the Hubble telescope, for instance, would look something like this. All the satellites and the space shuttle and the International Space Station, they would all be molten slabs of metal spinning around in orbit. But let's put that aside for a moment. There are supposedly between 25,000 satellites in orbit. But let's have a look at some videos supposedly from the International Space Station. of between a car 
and a school bus at 100 miles away. You just wouldn't see it. At about this point, somebody's bound to say, what about the global positioning system? How would that work without satellites? Well, as it happens, the technology has actually been around since World War II. There are actually two systems, one called Lone and another called DECA. Those were navigation systems based on radio triangulation. Now, the GPS systems that we're used to now are basically the same systems, just in computer interface. Similarly, the international telephone traffic that's supposedly handled by satellites are handled by undersea fiber optic cables. Shortwave radio can also span large distances and also be bounced off the ion sphere. So, in the absence of any hard physical evidence, I submit that satellites are just a work of fiction and another way that NASA and the US military managed to con the American public out of billions of dollars. So let's turn our attention to the International Space Station. This is one of those occasions where we can't really trust two-dimensional media because all we have is images and video that supposedly prove that there's an International Space Station up there and it's been manned since 1999. One of the most visible indications that there are people up in space inside the International Space Station is that they're in zero gravity. However, NASA has known as the Vomit Comet. And when this aircraft takes a certain flight path, the people inside feel weightlessness. certain that NASA has an aircraft fitted out to look like the International Space Station's in Now take a look at this. Hello, Katie. Notice how suddenly she starts to wave. Hello. She floats out of control. This is so cool, isn't it? Hey, Katie, well, I want to ask a Look at this. Wow. The same thing happens here. As the plane starts its zero-g dive, the people start to spontaneously close upwards. The other problem with this technique is that this aircraft can only simulate in 45 seconds a minute bursts. So NASA employs many little tricks here to uh, simulate weightlessness. None of their footage is live. It's all pre-recorded and edited. So plenty of scope there to use some of the cinematic tricks that we're used to, like harnesses and wires that are edited out later with CGI. But here we can see one of the tricks they use to maintain continuity between periods of weightlessness. Take a look at this woman's hair. Does it look a bit strange to you? Look how it seems to spring back into place. We're led to believe that uh, this is an effect of weightlessness, that the hair will just sort of float around. But it doesn't quite seem natural, does it? Here's video from the Vomit Comet again. Watch the way this woman's hair flows as she moves. 
quite obvious now that this is some kind of perm or hairspray. So that between periods of weightlessness, we get that visual continuity. Now, there are plenty of examples of these gravitational anomalies, but I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I just wanted to show that all these things that you can see from NASA can be simulated and CGI'd up for your benefit. They don't seem to do any real scientific experiments up there. The it seems to be just to get you to believe that they're there. That's it. There are also plenty of anomalies when you look at spacewalks. For footage of spacewalks on the exterior of the International Space Station, NASA will freely admit they have a huge swimming pool called the Neutral Buoyancy Lab where they train their astronauts. And within this huge swimming pool, they have a mock-up of the exterior of the International Space Station. Through a video from a YouTuber called Jungle Surfer, who's done the best expose of spacewalking anomalies. Another aspect of the illusion of space travel is spacewalks. These are faked inside a swimming pool. It's a custom-built swimming pool, and that's a great way to fake zero gravity. About six months ago, in 2013, a gallon of water leaked into one of their spacesuits in a matter of seconds. NASA doesn't really have option for how on earth this could have happened. There shouldn't be water leaking into someone's helmet and a person almost drowning in space. How can you drown in space? They now wear snorkels to make sure that they don't drown in space. How can this be happening? A snorkel in space? There could be some water in the poorest place sublimator. When they were on the moon, they supposedly had a, about a gallon of water, but that cooling system is supposed to be well away from their head. There really is no sane explanation for why a kick in the spacesuit, unless you realise the whole thing is faked inside a swimming pool. In this scene, you can see the Chinese spacewalk, and you can see a bubble coming up from the guy's suit. How do you have a bubble in space? Space is supposed to be a vacuum, not a swimming pool but it's obviously just a swimming pool filled with water. Obviously, there would be some equipment that they could only fix from the outside, but a lot of these spacewalks, it seems like equipment they easily could have appeared to be accessible from the inside of the International Space Station. It seems more an excuse to get out and show their other space trick, which is the faking of spacewalks in a swimming pool. In this vid, you catch a glimpse of someone wearing a scuba tank. Scuba tanks in space? Snorkels and scuba tanks in space? They act like a spacewalk is just a walk in the park, like there's very little danger involved at all. They're looking through the spacesuits. Oh, here's a spacesuit. We're going to go for a spacewalk as if there's no danger at all, like they don't care. They don't act like they're in a life-threatening situation, like they could die at any second, even though they can. So you'd think to preserve their life, they would want to minimise the amount of spacewalking that they did. But there seems to be an abundance of equipment on the outside of the International Space Station that constantly requires repairing, which makes for a good TV spectacle and is inspired by movies like Sandra Bullock's Gravity, and after Gravity came out, 
they want to do another spacewalk to fix some emergency, some piece of equipment that their lives depend on that amazingly they can fix every time. But you know what? Thanks to the genius of the engineers at NASA, they employ snorkels in space now, so that should stop them from drowning. Finally, I'm going to leave the last word to one of the astronauts themselves when he made a tiny little slip-up during a question-and-answer session. Take note of his body language after he makes his mistake. Hello, my name is Bailey. Uh, this question is... Well, it was the uh, 1980s, so the music was different, the hairstyle was different, the clothes we wore were different uh, than today, but probably in five or ten years it'll be the same. And uh, in, in school, I was just like you, probably all of you there. I, I tried my best. I didn't always succeed, didn't always do well, but I, I, I put my best effort into school. Math and this were kind of my favorite subject. I didn't really like uh, English in in read too much, but I've since grown out of that, and I enjoy reading now. And I played a lot of sports. And all of that happened in a little town called York, Maine, across the United States from where we're talking to you right now. Whoops. Called York, Maine, across the United States from where we're talking to you right now. Hello, my name is Steve Owen. I'm a teacher here at Riverside Prep. I'd like to ask you about the stress associated with the long periods in the space station. I'd like to ask Karen, uh, what is the training that you get to cope with that stress and related psychological issues? Well, for psychological issues, actually, when we're astronauts, we go through quite a, quite a vigorous psychological screening process. Um, you certainly don't want somebody who can who comes up here and and, and has a breakdown or is claustrophobic. Um, but also, we have um, well, like Chris's background as a Navy SEAL and Luca's background as a test pilot clearly prepare them for high stress situations. Um, I could also argue that going through your the process of getting a PhD can be a high stress high stress thing as well. And so then people get to the point where these they're applying for these this job. They've been through um, several things in their life that are high stress and have proven that, it, that they can handle. Humans in space. I'm not even sure there is such a thing as space anymore. So could the Earth really be flat? Most people, when they think of a flat Earth, immediately think, what happens when you get to the edge? Well, the flat Earth model is a flat circular disk with a north magnetic pole in the center, and all the continents are laid out around it. On this disk, a wall of ice, and we call it Antarctica. There is no south pole. That's why you can't fall off the flat Earth. The wall of ice keeps the oceans in and stops you from reaching the edge. Strangely enough, the only other place that this model is used is in the United Nations logo. Looks like they know something that we don't. As you can see on the UN logo, the flat Earth map is overlaid with a grid. That grid divides the Earth into 33 sections. Hmm. 
And also, there's no Antarctica on this map. It's almost as if that grid were like bars, like a cell locking us away from Antarctica, which is precisely what they're doing. The United Nations countries are all signatories to the Antarctica Treaty, which basically bans anybody from going to Antarctica. And if there's any absolute proof of either the globe Earth or the flat one, then I believe the answers would be in Antarctica. But before we examine Antarctica, I'd like to take a look at flights in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, this information came to me through Mark Sargent and his Flat Earth Clues. A lot of people say that Mark is a shill. I communicated with him over email. He seemed like a decent bloke. So I'm not going to say he's a shill. He has his ideas, his views, his perspectives, as I have mine, and everybody else has theirs. So I'm not going to say he's a shill. But nonetheless, his Flat Earth Clues were very well done, and I got a lot out of them. So thank you, Mark. The crux of this issue is the lack of direct flights in the Southern Hemisphere. I took a look at some of these flights and uh, particularly focused on flights from Cape Town to Auckland, New Zealand. Generally, flights in the Southern Hemisphere tend to be indirect with one or more connections and lengthy layovers, such as the case with this one from Cape Town to Auckland. This flight came out around about 37 hours with a connecting flight in Dubai. Now, if you look on a map, Cape Town to Auckland is a straight shot across the Indian Ocean. That should take about 12 hours. But in this case, we're taking thousands of miles north to Dubai, then back down south to Melbourne, and then across to Auckland. It doesn't make any sense. Until that is, you look at it on the flat Earth model. Now you can see it's a straight line from Cape Town to Dubai to Melbourne. And the distance is more like 16,000 miles. So the total journey time of 37 hours is there to hide the fact that your actual flight time is 26 hours rather than 11 or 12. Now, I did find one direct flight operated by Qantas, but who knows? The flight was 14 hours long, but does that flight actually exist? I don't know. Short of booking that flight and flying it, I wouldn't know. But it strikes me that you could advertise such a flight, price it beyond the reach of most people, and cancel it for anybody who does take it. But that's just speculation. Now, the GPS system would obviously show up any anomalies in the flight plan, but it seems they've found a very simple way of uh, getting around that problem. And that is switching off GPS tracking for all flights in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, this is an image from Flight Tracker, and you can see straight off that in the Northern Hemisphere, you'll see planes over the ocean, but there are none in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, I spent some time looking at tracker.com, and I actually verified this information, but I couldn't capture the data on my computer. So here's a video of planes disappearing and reappearing off the tracking systems. So hey guys, I'm on planefinder.net. I'm tracking airplanes in the southern hemisphere, trying to do some research to verify or debunk this flat earth guy. And what he said is that airplanes disappear 
in the south <laughs> near the you know in the southern hemisphere when they fly over oceans and it's true I was tracking a British Airways flight from Buenos Aires to London and I was tracking I was tracking and then it disappeared and then I clicked on this plane right here Qatar see how the flight path like when you click on the plane the flight path uh, appears or disappears right so I clicked on this plane looking for my British Airways and I found this flight and look see how the flight path just starts in the middle of nowhere right here this flight path starts in the middle of nowhere. That's because what they do with flights in the Southern Hemisphere is they disappear and they turn off the GPS over the ocean and then they reappear the flights about an hour before landing. And that's exactly what the Flat Earth guy said they do. And that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> this guy's going to Rome, okay? So this is a uh, this is a pretty good flight to track because it's going all the way here. So I just clicked on this flight, same thing. This guy, we should have saw him before when we were tracking the other plane, and when we were tracking this plane that's heading to Rome. But this guy, when we were tracking the plane headed to Rome, he wasn't even on the map. He is coming from Abu Dhabi in the Middle East. He's been in the air for what, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours? He's been in the air for 7,000 miles, and we're just picking him up right here. <laughs> we're just picking him up in the middle of nowhere. Look, they disappeared the flight over the entire ocean. And they're reappearing it for landing about an hour before landing. Think about it. He's got 500 miles to go. It's about an hour before landing, just like the flat earth guy said. I mean, take a look at what this guy's flight path should look like on a flat earth model. This stuff's crazy. You have to look into this for yourselves. Don't pretend like you know everything because you only know what you've been taught. And we know that the stuff we've been taught with a bunch of bullshit. So we need to question everything. Question everything. But don't believe everything. Question everything. There's a big difference. Now, I know a lot of this evidence. There are many flights in the Southern Hemisphere that have stopovers in seemingly nonsensical places that only make sense on the flat Earth. Santiago, Chile to Auckland, for instance, stops over in Los Angeles nonsensical on a globe makes perfect sense on a flat earth. And the only way to verify these flight paths just happens to be switched off for all southern hemisphere flights. Circumstantial, I'll grant you, but compelling nonetheless. So let's take a close look at Antarctica. The first thing you'd encounter when you reached Antarctica would be a 200-foot wall of ice, followed by 300 miles of Antarctic desert. No life no vegetation, and temperatures that drop to minus 100 degrees centigrade. And if you manage to survive that, then you encounter a mountain range two miles high. Those mountains are called the Rockefeller Mountains, 
and at the top is the rock. Interesting. And beyond that, nobody knows what's there. Apart from maybe one man, Richard E. Byrd. Admiral Byrd led three expeditions down to Antarctica. Now, the last two weren't just expeditions. They were military operations. Operation High Jump and Operation Deep Freeze. And here's Admiral Byrd explaining what he found down there. Admiral Byrd, definitely our greatest living explorer, but he's been an inspiration to countless Americans. Admiral Byrd, you've been to both the North Pole and the South Pole. Is there any unexplored land left on this Earth? Uh, Yes, there is. But strangely enough, there's left in the world today an area as big as the United States that's never been seen by a human being. And that's beyond the pole on the other side of the South Pole from Middle America. And it's, uh, I think it's quite astonishing that there should be an area as big as that unexplored. The adventure left down at the bottom of the world. Why this interest in the bottom of the world? Nobody's living down there, is it? It happens to be an untouched reservoir of natural resources. What are they? What, uh, what are the natural resources there? Well, uh, we've found enough coal within 180 miles of the South Pole in a great uh, ridge of mountain here. It's not covered with snow. Enough to supply the whole world. Uh, that's, that's the coal. Now, there's other things, and uh, other, many other minerals. Uh, we're pretty sure there's oil. Now, that coal shows the bottom of the well. Now, by far, the coldest spot in the well. Where that coal is gets 100 below zero in the water. Well, uh, where's one's tropical. So, uh, we think there's oil there, and there's evidence, probably uranium. As I said, it's the most peaceful place in the world, but I don't think it will be for long because of this intense interest on the part of, uh, of other nations and this nation. So I'm willing to say to you that uh, there will be a number of expeditions that will follow, I think, uh, year after year. Immediately after Admiral Burr's last expedition, the Antarctic Treaty was signed and nobody was allowed to go there. Bearing in mind all the mineral resources, unlimited coal, unlimited oils, uranium, and an entire continent the size of North America lying unexplored. Now, we're talking about countries who burn down rainforests without batting an eyelid, or put up drilling rigs at the merest sniff of oil, or destroy pristine countryside to build fracking wells. Do you think for one moment any of these countries or corporations will leave all that hacked wealth unexploited. Something doesn't ring true. Now, I don't know for sure that we live on a flat earth, but I do know that we're not clinging onto the surface of a ball. (coughs) Now let's look at the how and why. How have they managed to pull this off? Well, indoctrination since childhood. There's pretty much a globe in every classroom. And it's just a given that the world is sincere. Even our language reflects it. Global finance and around the globe. And when we're taught things in childhood and everything we look at supports that view, then we rarely go back and re-examine it. The main basis of our belief 
is the supposed history of our scientific endeavor. What most people don't realize is that all the characters in the story are all actors in the same club. As George Carlin put it, it's a big club and you're not in it. But Ptolemy, who first put forward the heliocentric model, was acknowledged as the first mason. Copernicus was a Jesuit priest. Sir Isaac Newton was a Christian. All the astronauts are Freemasons. So you can see how this lie could work if all these celebrated people are telling the same story. Another way we're programmed is by centralized and complete control over space information and access to space. That control is held by the space agencies around the world, NASA and RASA and the European Space Agency. It turns out that NASA is essentially composed of Nazis. Look up Operation Paperclip. NASA was actually formed from Nazi scientists transplanted to America after the war. I need not remind most people that the Nazi approach to propaganda is if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. And finally, we've had decades of programming through entertainment media, over a hundred years of science fiction books and stories and television programs. I must admit to being a science fiction fan myself. I grew up watching Star Trek, Star Wars, Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, watching films like 2001, 2010. I truly believed that our future lay in space. I saw an exciting future for mankind, moon bases, Mars bases, interstellar travel. But now I sincerely doubt there is any such thing as space. It turns out that the Bible had a very clear conception of what the Earth and the universe looks like. And that matches the flat Earth model more than it does the globe. And that only leaves why. Why have they done this? What's the point of this grand deception? I think Eric Dubay explained it best. Uh, yeah, I mean, our eyes and experience tell us the Earth is flat and motionless and everything in the sky revolves around us. But when we cease to believe our own eyes and experience, we have to prostrate ourselves at the feet of these very pseudo-scientists who are blinding us, treat them as experts, astronomical priests who have special knowledge only they can access, like the Hubble telescope. So by brainwashing us of something so gigantic and fundamental, it actually makes every other kind of lesser indoctrination a piece of cake. <laughs> Earth being the flat, fixed center of the universe around which everything in the heavens revolves gives a special importance and significance, not only to Earth, but to us humans, the most intelligent among the intelligent designers' designs. By turning Earth into a spinning ball thrown around the sun and shot through infinite space from a godless Big Bang, they turn humanity into a random, meaningless, purposeless accident of a blind, dumb universe. Mm -hmm. So it's like trauma-based mind control beating the divinity out of us with their mental manipulations. Uh, people are always asking, you know, why do they do this? I mean, this is 
I mean, other than the obvious profit margin motives, NASA being the biggest black budget black hole in existence, sucking in over $30 billion taxpayer money for the fake moon landings alone. Nowadays, hundreds of billions of dollars, and not just NASA, but RASA and all the other fake space organizations around the world giving CGI images for hundreds of billions of dollars. So this modern atheist, big bang, heliocentric, globe earth, chance, evolution, paradigm spiritually controls humanity by removing God or any sort of intelligent design and replaces purposeful divine creation with haphazard, random, cosmic coincidence. And so by removing earth from the motionless center of the universe, these masons have moved us physically and metaphysically from a place of supreme importance to one of complete nihilistic indifference. If the earth is the center of the universe, then the ideas of God, creation, and a purpose for human existence are resplendent. But if the earth is just one of billions of planets revolving around billions of stars and billions of galaxies, then the ideas of God, creation, and a specific purpose for earth and human existence become highly implausible. So by surreptitiously indoctrinating us into their scientific materialist sun worship, not only do we lose faith in anything beyond the material, we gain absolute faith in materiality, superficiality, status, selfishness, hedonism, and consumerism. If there's no God and everyone's just an accident, then all that really matters is me, me, me. So they've turned Madonna, the mother of God, into the material girl living in a material world. They're rich, powerful corporations with their slick sun cult logos sell us idols to worship, slowly taking over the world while we tacitly believe their science. So for their politicians, buy their products, listen to their music, watch their movies, all sacrificing our souls at the altar of materialism. It's a big it's a big deception. I'd say it's the, the biggest cover-up and conspiracy in history. We've been completely deluded for 500 years. So there you have it. There are a great many other points I could have raised, and I've barely scratched the surface. But if any of these points are true, then we have to abandon the model we've accepted thus far. Now, I don't know for sure that the Earth is flat, but I've seen enough evidence to make me strongly feel that that is the case. And moreover, my spidey sense, my intuition, tells me that this is true. I don't know what's beyond Antarctica. It could be a dome. It could be an infinite flat plane. It could even be just more Earth. More Earth than we realize, just as Admiral Byrd found. There are many who think that ultimately this is unimportant and just a distraction. But I see this as one of the most important revelations we could ever have. If this is the case, if this flat Earth is our universe, then it elevates man and this Earth to supreme importance, where every life, human or otherwise, is significant and sacred. And when we all realize that, then the world, the universe, changes.
the videos I'm making covering the flat earth lately, I'm getting a lot of questions about satellites. The evidence that the earth is a ball. Now let's take a look at these images of these satellites. Do these look real to you? I want you people that talk about satellites to show me a real image of a satellite. All you get there are these CGI images, not a single real image of a satellite anywhere. Why is that? All we get is this fake garbage. You get a CGI satellite. You get a CGI planet. All bogus. 100%. So, for all you people coming to my channel, Talking about satellites, video, produce real satellites. Can't do it because they don't exist, period. Supposedly close to 3,000 satellites up in space. Again, all we get is this fake garbage. Now let's look at what ISS has to produce uh, real satellites. That fake garbage. Get this. All CGI, computer animated. Looks like a video game. Where are the satellites? You don't see any because they don't exist. Look at this. Wow. You believe this is real? If you believe this is real, you're going to believe every single lie. NASA, the media, what tells you? You've been completely blinded from birth. You believe everything you've been told your whole life. And any time someone questions an official story by your leaders, you get angry, you get upset, you get defensive. Because no one likes to be told they've been lied to their entire lives. Keep watching this video. And again, show me where the satellites are. There are none. At least with this fake computer animated garbage, I'm surprised they didn't make any fake satellites. I guess they oh, here's, here's one. This must be real. Because it's this video is provided by NASA. But all you get, again, is computer animated garbage. Your whole life is nothing but garbage. Full of lies, it's all you get. You get angry at so-called conspiracy theorists who tell you the truth. Haters of truth, lover of lies. Now let's take a look at some photos supposedly from NASA of the ball earth, the blue marble, sitting at a thousand miles an hour in space. Believe these are real. All fake garbage. Again. How people can't see this? No clue. It's a waste of time arguing with these idiots that can't see their own two eyes. Unbelievable how the masses would be blinded by their masters.
in a form of mockery with Hollywood, we're going to tell you the truth right in front of your face as form of mockery under the dome, that TV show, exactly what we're living under, the dome. That's why all the images of Earth from space, all the fake satellite images, they're all fake. Why? They cannot get past the dome to take real images of Earth. That simple. So again, with these TV shows, such as the Big Bang Theory as well, they like to put the occult all in plain sight with these TV shows. And again, like I said, I stated before, when you see a rainbow after it's done raining and the sky clears, what you get here are these water beads that act like a mirror that get a reflection from the dome that is above us. Or the same, that's a reflection. Again, the water acting as a mirror, a reflection of the dome above us. And I found this pretty interesting with the Sky Dome, another form of mockery with the name Sky Dome. It was built by IBI in Canada. What do you see? Upside down pentagram, right side up pentagram. The Colton Plains Titan. This is their official website. Look it up yourself. So some more images here from their website, giving the details about the Sky Dome. Now the occult with the Sky Dome. And what do you see here? The obelisk. Right outside. Again, all about the occult. All these large companies to get their contracts, be successful. They know their role. They know what they need to do. Looking at some images here. More images. This is the one that's right in your face. You know, on this, on their homepage for the Sky Dome, this is their image. Again, with the occult flying side, completely ridiculous. Uh, people can't see that those that rule this world worship Satan. question about the entire flat earth model that I get is about the sun, how it's on the flat earth. First off, like I always do, I have to lay the foundation before I even show any type of footage. This is the biblical flat earth with the sun and the moon and the stars within the firmament. Make it clear on the do not exist. All we have is what you see here. Like I mentioned, on the flat fixed earth. Now taking a look at this photo across Lake Michigan with the Chicago skyline like I mentioned before 
This is approximately 60 miles over Lake Michigan with Minnesota. And these buildings should not be viewable due to the curvature of the Earth, the supposed curvature of the Earth. One thing to notice right off the bat, look how level the horizon is. On the supposed ball Earth, this would be happening. Now, people see the sun, they say, oh, around the ball of the Earth, around the globe. And this isn't the case, and I'll explain that. It's taking place just like this model here, these telephone poles, at the vanishing point. You can see all these telephone poles are the same height, but due to perspective, the one closest appears taller than the rest. You go down the line, one this away seems very small, but of course, again, they're all the same height. The same concept with the sun. It appears to disappear. Let's take a look at more images here. The same basic concept with the vanishing point. Now, look at this fence. Look at this railroad track. Further you go, the more narrow it seems, and it disappears. Again, with the telephone pole, the same thing. I showed this night and day flat earth model before. How the sun moves clockwise around the flat earth. Of course, the stationary, the sun moves just like the Bible states. Understand with this model, it's not the scale, of course. The sun is much smaller approximately only 30 miles across. And some might say, oh, this is just a model. Does not mean anything? Let's see it in action. And here you go. And this is a time-lapse video of the sun in the view over Lake Michigan, looking towards Chicago, taking a look, again, how the sun circles the earth, going eastward, and you can clearly see how the light is localized right where the clouds are. If the sun was truly 93 million miles away, the entire sky would be, would be illuminated. You're going to see how small the sun actually is, and again, how the light is localized as it moves away, going east, just like the model I showed before. Let's take a look. You clearly see that sun, you can see how that, like I said, that light, the light from the sun is localized right at this cloud. No way. This sun, as large as we're told, and as far as we're told, right in front of you, people need to unlearn what they have learned. It proves. The sun is clearly under God's firmament. 100% clear as day. And there you go. There's the vanishing point as the sun circles the earth, just like in the model I showed earlier. Now, taking a look at the moon at night, clearly see the clouds. And people don't have to speak to me about this. Those are clearly the clouds behind the moon. I 
do this myself at night. I observe the skies very often. I see this with my own eyes. There's no illusion. Don't tell me that this moon is 38,000 miles away, and you can see the clouds like this. There's no way. Not possible. Again, for even those that believe in the flat earth, they're disputing this. You understand. We're told you have to erase everything we're told in the schools, the history books. It's all lies. You've got to see things with new eyes. Understand the entire concept. Everything we're told is the exact opposite of what it is. Now, taking a look at Space.com's website, and you can just see by their logo with the Illuminati pyramid, you can tell who they who are affiliated with. Work for those that are behind the scenes to deceive the masses. You read the title for this article, Why Do Planets Look Like Stars in the Night Sky? Because that's exactly what they are. Again, planets do not exist. Everything is within the firmament. The size of the stars differ. So they're giving you false explanations of what you're actually seeing. Now let's look at their explanation of why these so-called planets shine like stars. It's here. Planets don't produce their own light. They reflect the light of the sun in the same way our moon reflects sunlight. This is complete garbage. If you believe these so-called planets that you see here are reflecting light to get this light, you 100% deceived. These are nothing more than stars. And as the Bible states, the moon produces its own light as well. So you've got more than one lie in this article. Basically, everything they're telling you is a lie. Now, taking a look at the very beginning of the Bible, the Genesis 1.16, basically the creation of the world, and it states, and God made two great lights, the sun and the moon, are two lights. The moon gives up its own light. That's what this refers to. Not a reflection from the sun on the moon to get light. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Notice planets aren't mentioned because planets do not exist. And clearly with these images, you can see how the moon creates its own light. Not a reflection from the sun. And more of the same, clearly, its own light. Now take a look at the moon during the day. Why isn't the moon completely illuminated? It should be a full moon. There's nothing obstructing the sun and the moon. They're both in the sky at the same time. So what's the deal? Just further evidence that the moon produces its own light. The moon creates its own phases. It's that simple. Otherwise, this moon should be fully illuminated with the sun and the moon again in the sky at the same time. Now, here's something else to remember. With the moon and the sun in the same sky, what's the deal with the other side of the supposed globe? They're not getting a sun. They're not getting a moon. How does that work? It doesn't make sense. The sun and the moon are always above the flat earth. That's simple. 
Now let's take a look at this footage supposedly provided by ISS. This is nothing more than CGI. Nothing more than a cartoon. Nothing about this is real. And this is what you base your belief that we live on a spinning ball. This is complete garbage. And what is this? This green barrier. Unbelievable how people can buy this. The masses, millions of people will watch this and they will say, isn't science amazing? Science is not amazing. It's just that you're stupid and you fall for this complete, utter garbage. Wake up. They can't get into space. Rockets don't work in space. ISS is a hoax. Stop believing in fairy tales. Your whole life's a lie. Everything that's said by the government, the schools, all lies. Time for you to wake up and stop living in this lie, this fantasy they have created for you, this matrix that you cannot break free from. Take a look. Wake up. You need to understand. I already covered this in a previous video with this meteorologist claiming the Chicago sky being viewed all the way in Michigan, across Lake Michigan, is nothing more than a mirage. You want to understand one simple thing. The whole foundation is a lie. So everything after is a lie as well. And they have to continue the lie, such as this person here, playing a newsman, but nothing more than a paid propagandist. Now, again, I already covered this in detail. I'm going to go and cover a little bit more detail. The different But first, I want to say, I didn't play the whole video in my previous video. And in this one, we'll play the whole clip, and I'll go into a little bit more detail. Take a listen. Until I found this photo, Grandview State Park, and what you're seeing here is a mirage. You typically would not be able to see this in the Lake Michigan Shore. We talked about this last night. Conditions are right on the lake, and we're actually seeing a mirage of the Chicago skyline. Very interesting. And here's what's happening. This is a, a good example of a superior mirage. So John Crowell was on the Lake Michigan shore. He was looking towards the west. And Chicago's beyond the not be able to see it. However, with the right conditions, we have an inversion. We have cold air near the cold lake water and some relatively warmer air above it. This will send the image of that uh, skyline back towards the viewer. So typically you would not be able to see this image. It would be people from much, much higher in the sky up in space. But instead, we have to see it Lake Michigan Shore. Very fascinating. And that's the same reason we're actually seeing this ring on the radar tonight as well. Because of the inversion, we call that. It's very sucking, extending the radar rays back towards the ground. So even on a clear night, we have some interesting weather. Now, before I proceed with the video, this is a very important point I want to replay that the meteorologist says. The horizon should not be able to see it. However, 
Look at light conditions. We have an inversion. We have cold air. Okay, he just stated because of the horizon, the curvature basically, you shouldn't be able to see the Chicago skyline. Now, taking a look at this photo provided by Joshua Nowicki, you can clearly see that this is no mirage. And I'll get into that in a little bit. I'll explain a superior mirage and how it looks like. And this is no superior mirage. I understand the distance from Chicago to Grand Muir State Park in Stevensville, Michigan, 90 miles away. They say over water, 60 miles. Now, understand one thing. With the supposed curvature of the Earth and at 60 miles, that will lead you to 2,400 feet behind the supposed horizon or the curvature. So the Sears Tower, also known as Willis Tower, being at 1,700 feet to the tip, the whole tower basically should be behind the horizon or the supposed curvature of the Earth. And also he talks about the superior mirage. The superior, the superior mirages, the mirage is inverted. And I'm going to show some examples of that. With these photos, you clearly see the inverted mirage. Again, more of the same. So again, when you look at this skyline, it's a complete insult for that meteorologist to call this a mirage. Nothing about this is a mirage, completely real. And also to go along with the photo from Stevensville, Michigan, I found an additional photo from even further, a little bit further, at St. Joseph's, found on this blog here. You can clearly see Again, the Chicago skyline, all the way across Lake Michigan. And there was a dispute as far as the distance was concerned from Chicago to Michigan City, Indiana. And I want to clarify this. Might as well, I might as well mention how it's been stated how the distance is driving miles. Now, from point A to point B, across the lake, they say it's approximately 40 miles. So even if that's the case, with 40 miles, it's still 1,000 feet, a little over 1,000 feet behind the supposed curvature. So in that case, you should only see the very tips of these few buildings over here. The lower, lower ones shouldn't be in view at all. So clearly, Again, doesn't add up with the, what the meteorologist is saying. And clearly, again, this is no mirage. Take a look at, more, at some more photos here from Michigan City, Indiana, in the views of the Chicago skyline. A couple more images. And again, I point this out with the people staying on the beach, you can clearly see 
These are not inverted buildings. Clearly, they're there. And again, the Chicago skyline, just for reference. And again, another photo from Michigan City, Indiana. Clearly, no mirage. Again, more.
shall receive one such little child in my name. See this me. Not devils in thy name. And he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not with us. Forbid him not. But there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, and fairly I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. Well, unto the world because of offenses. But must needs be that offenses come. And by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if I nigh offend thee, suck it down and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these as well. I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take For whosoever will save his life shall live. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and do so, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth. For the tooth. Well, he is guilty of death. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him, twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemy. Bless them that do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil 
and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. What man of you having an hundred sheep? If you lose one of the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until you find it. on his shoulders rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which I have lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust. Do nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beast of thine own eye. Oh, how shalt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. 
and to him that knocketh shall be opened. What man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask him a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts unto them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs, or thistles? A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, and cast into the fire, wherefore, by their fruit, you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And cast out them, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. I don't know. For it was founded upon a rock. And if wine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen. No. Reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But, but when thou prayest, Enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their marching. 
Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth who would ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, with the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and he took me in. Naked. I was sick. He visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick? or in prison. And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brother, ye have done it unto me. So say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and he gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we be in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger? Or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. Then shall they answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, with the righteous, into life eternal. Thank you.
Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger, were they not far? But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. It cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. The wolf catcheth them, and scatters them. Fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold, and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh my life. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Crucify him. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, 
with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Thank you. 